Welcome everyone to The Eight. I'm so happy that you guys are here. We are on part two of a great series called The Prophet and King. The Prophet and King. And what's been the inspiration behind this series is many times we hear about many uh, Jewish characters from the Jewish Bible, which we know today as the Old Testament. And we feel very unrelated. It's unrelated. It seems very distant. Like, and, and they're kind of just, forgive me, kind of like a fairy tale type of characters, and we can't really relate to them. Every liturgical service, we read from the Psalms, and we say, oh, David is the prophet and the king, and we kind of become numb to who he is. But if you notice, the tagline of the series is where we're saying that David is a gifted poet, legendary leader, and a flawed man, and a flawed man. So the historical context of this character, David, is in the 11th century BC, and he is in ancient Israel, uh, and they, they are God's chosen people trying to get established. And the leaders of trying to get God's peoples established, there are prophets, there are priests, and there are kings. So the first king of Israel, of ancient Israel, trying to establish the, the, the country and is trying to establish God's people is Saul. And the person that follows after him is David. And from the tension and the conflict that occurs between Saul and David, as this country is trying to be established, this is where we, we find so much meat, so much drama, and so much lessons that we're able to apply to our lives centuries and centuries later. Before we move forward, let's agree on one statement that many, many for, for us in our life experiences, we can relate to this one statement. Pursuing the fullness of life, which is him, pursuing the fullness of life, the one who is the God-man, pursuing Jesus or God is most unappealing or irrelevant when we are angry, isolated, or afraid. Pursuing God is most unappealing and irrelevant when we are angry, isolated, or afraid. When we are emotionally driven, and we're on a high with emotions, either being angry or isolated or afraid, let's face it, many of us make mistakes that continue to put us deeper into the hole. Like we, we, we find ourselves angry, isolated, or afraid. We end up making decisions that end up making us even more isolated, making us more scared, making us more afraid and more lonely through our decisions because we are just surrounded by emotions and we end up putting ourselves into a deeper hole. And that's our natural reflex. Our natural reflex is that we end up making a mistake or trying to correct our mistake but we end up putting ourselves into a deeper hole, and that's our natural reflex. And then we can look back at it years later and say, yeah, you know what I did? That was not the smartest idea for me to fix that solution. But we're in the heat of the moment. Because we're so emotionally driven, we end up making mistakes that end up putting us deeper into a hole. Going back to this ancient prophet and king, David, he has a series of mistakes. As we see, he's a flawed man. And he, there's two massive failures in his life. One of them he makes later in life that we'll talk about over the next several weeks. And then there's one that doesn't really get much attention. And there's a mistake that occurred approximately seven years after he defeats Goliath. So just to give you context, David is just a, a little teenage punk that all of a sudden was selected, or not selected, but he had the courage and the boldness to fight a, 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 just a, a beast of a guy, Goliath, and he took him down because of his courage and his faith and who God is to him. From that moment, he was the most popular kid in town, and everyone loved him and wanted to be around him. Like, everyone wanted to sit with him at lunch. He was the most popular guy around Israel. 
Now fast forward seven years. The height of his popularity, he's around the age 22. He's not king, but he's very popular. And the first king of Israel, Saul, is seeing how popular David is getting around town. But he's the king. He should be the most popular guy. Why is this little punk, a 22-year-old, getting all the attention? So he says, and which was, the, which was the cultural norm then, if I bring David into my family, if he marries one of my daughters, and if I marry him into the family, then he's on my side. Like People will be talking about us as a whole family and not just about him. The spotlight won't just be purely on him. I'll bring him in so I can kind of control him. He'll be kind of under my wing. And King Saul offered some of his daughters to King David for, for him to marry. And this is, again, this is the cultural norm. But David said, I'm unworthy to be, to be married into the, the king's family. I'm unworthy. I'm just, I'm just a little kid. I, I'm 22. Like, I, I, I'm unworthy. And because of David's reaction, everyone was like, you don't want to marry, like, marrying into the king's family, man, you're set, you're gold. Like, you never have to work a single day in, in your life. But because he de declined it, that actually even made him more popular. He eventually did marry one of King Saul's daughters. Her name was Michael. I know, but her name is Michael. And he became best friends with, with King Saul's uh, son, Jonathan. So, so David's best friend was Jonathan. So naturally, David became very close to King Saul's family, marrying one of his daughters and becoming best friends with one of King Saul's sons named Jonathan. But Saul wanted all the attention on him, and he wanted to make sure that this popular guy is taken down. So he would send David on these, like, almost impossible missions and all these impossible battles and wars. And he'd say, David, David, I need you to go take on this battle and take on this war. I need you to go fight over there on that side, so go fight that enemy. And, and King Saul would send David on these impossible missions. Why? To try to kill him. To try to kill him. If he can kill him, then he knows that all the tension's on him, and he can get rid of this threat, which is David. But every time David would go out into these battles, he would actually end up coming back more successful, and he would somehow win these almost impossible battles. At this point, the tension between King Saul and David is at the highest moment, and all of it comes to a peak at a dinner one evening. Like, to be invited to the dinner at, at, at the king's place was a huge deal. To be invited to the dinner, it was a huge deal. So one night, David was, was at dinner with King Saul, and everything went down from that one dinner. Because as they were getting for, for dinner, David usually goes, but one dinner, he wasn't there. David didn't show up for one dinner. And since you didn't show up at the king's dinner, that's when things went down. And King Saul blew up. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan, which is David's best friend. And he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman, Hope you guys, some of you guys woke up. The king Saul says, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Obviously, there's some marriage conflict going on for King Saul to say that you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Don't I know that you had sided with the son of Jesse? Didn't you side with, with Jesse's kid, David, to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse, which is David, lives on this earth, as long as David lives, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, for David must die. If you notice the heat from Saul, for him, 
he can't even say the name David. A bishop of the third century named St. John Chrysostom, who we mentioned in our liturgical services, and his commentary and his meditation on this, he realizes that the, the heat and the tension coming from Saul that he can't even say the name David out of his mouth. Like, names are powerful. Names are powerful. And he couldn't even say the name David because of how heated he was that David was not there. And he told, he, he gave it to, to his son, Jonathan. So Jonathan, being the best friend of David, went to, went to David. So Jonathan went to his friend David after dinner and said, hey, you know, uh, dinner didn't really go well that great with the family. And it's better for you to kind of get out of town. Actually, it might be better for you just to get out of the country because he's about to hunt you down. Just, just, just get out of here. At that moment, David's emotion, he felt abandoned. He felt angry. And he felt afraid. Many of us, when we have any of these emotions, our natural re reflex, our natural response, panic. David panicked. It's easy for us to look at David and say, why did you panic? You're David. You, you, you beat up Goliath. Why did you panic? Yeah, okay, things that are not going that well between you and Saul, but no need to panic. But look, when he became emotionally driven and he lost clarity of vision of his, for his life, and who got the one who conquered Goliath for him, how he lost sight of all of that. David went to Nob, to Ahimelech. So Ahimelech is a priest. So now he's, he's afraid. He's panicking. He's angry. He feels isolated. He feels that he's been neglected from, his fam from, from King Saul. And now his life is threatened. David went to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked. So now he's, he's like trying to, to seek guidance. He's trying to, 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 to find out where do I do next. So he ends up going to the priest. The priest, Ahimelech, asks David, why are you alone? Like, why is no one with you? Like, when you're usually traveling, you're, you're David, man. You got, you got your whole posse around you. You got soldiers. You got thousands of soldiers coming with you anywhere you go. Like, you're David. Like, you're the most popular kid around here. And you're coming by yourself? Something seems a little bit fishy. David answered Ahimelech the priest. Well, see, priest, the king sent me on a mission and said to me, no one is to know anything about the mission I am sending you on. As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me, give me, some, give me some bread or whatever you can find. Now, all of a sudden, the, the priest is starting to notice, like, it seems something's a little bit shady. David, this popular guy, is coming by himself to the temple to come see the priest. Usually, like, there's just, like, people all around him. He's coming by himself, and then he says that he's on a, some secret mission, and now he's asking for food? David asked Ahimelech, don't you have a spear or a sword here? See, I, I really didn't bring my sword or any other weapon because the king's mission was so urgent that I, I, I left town so quickly, like I didn't you know, get a chance to even grab a weapon, but the, the secret is like top, this mission is top secret, like nobody can really know. But do you have any food, do you have any sword or anything like that for me? He continues. The priest replied, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed, David, in the Valley of Elah, is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. At this moment, at this moment, there's a little nudge. There's a little pinch from God 
to David for him to wake up. God is telling David, why are you running? Why are you panicking? Why are you freaking out? Like, why are you putting yourself into a deeper hole because of your emotions? And And the priest tells David, actually, I have a weapon. Actually, it's the weapon that was yours. You offered this weapon back to God as a symbol that you're giving it back to God after you beat Goliath seven years ago. And you ended up giving it to God as a symbol saying, it wasn't me that, that, fought, that beat Goliath, but it was God. And he gave the sword back to God and he gave it to the priest for it to be in the temple. At this moment, David should have opened his eyes and realized, wait, seven years ago, I beat down Goliath. I killed him because God was with me. And here I am running away from, 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 from hardship and, and putting myself into a deeper hole by lying. At this moment, his eyes should have opened up. But at this, now, it wasn't Goliath as his giant for him to tackle. Now, the giants that were controlling David was fear, was loneliness, was anger. Here is where David's story intersects with our lives. Here is where David's story intersects with our lives. When we feel abandoned, when we feel stressed, when we feel alone, This is where we tend to naturally start drifting away from God. When we need him the most, our natural reflex is that we end up drifting away from him the more. We say, I got this. I can can control this issue. I know what I'm doing. I'm going to do me. I know what I'm doing. I can control this issue. And we end up taking it in our own hands. David ends up saying, I got this. I'm just going to kind of go see the priest. I'm going to get some help. As for a sword, I'm going to do my thing. I got this. I'm in control. It's easy for us to see other friends or family members or people we know. It's easy for us to see their mistakes and for them digging themselves into a deeper hole. It's easy for us to point to, what are you doing? It's easy for us to see that. But for ourselves, it's hard for us to see. And even in our hardships and even in our situations where we feel alone or stuck, or angry. We say, oh, see, my situation's not like David. It's not like anybody else because my situation is unique. You might be a unique person, but our situation is not unique. We like to tell ourselves, oh, my, my, my situation is unique. It's different. I can control this. I, got, I know what I'm doing. I can solve this myself. Our natural reflex is to tell ourselves that, but in reality, we end up digging ourselves into a deeper hole instead of relying on the one who is the source of all. Many of us have said something along these lines. God, where are you? And I'm sure David said the same thing. God, where are you? Why are you putting me in this situation? Why are you putting me in, 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 this, in this high drama situation? Like, what did I do? It's e- like we, sometimes we dig ourselves in a hole, and then it's easy for us to step back and say, God, why did you allow this to happen? When in reality... We might have put ourselves in this hole ourselves just because we have been emotionally driven. It is super easy. It is super easy to come to God and come to church when things are great. It's super easy to come to church. It's super easy to come to God. Or it's, you know what? It's super easy to trust in God when everything is going well. It's easy. We tell the kids in the, in the kids program right now, you need to trust God. Yes, teacher. And it's easy for them to trust God. 
But as the weight of life comes on top of us, and when we feel isolated and angry, sometimes it's a lot harder to trust him when we need him the most. Just to show you how crazy the story gets, David takes Goliath's sword. He takes it from the priest. Then he goes to the Philistines, the enemy that he beat seven years ago, and he goes to them. And he goes to the Philistines and says, hey, 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 yeah, yeah, I, I know I'm David, but, like, I'm coming now, like, to fight for you guys now. Like, I'm on your guys' side. Like, David has lost it. The guy who was on the other side that, that was, was fighting against the Philistines, now he went to the Philistines and says, guys, guys, I'm on your side now. I got you. Like, well, let's go do this. And like, the Philistines are like, aren't you, like, David? Like, what, what, something is wrong here. Once David realized that he's, like, pushed into a corner, David loses it. He starts acting like he's psychotic. He starts drooling and starts scratching the wall to try to pretend like he like lost it. He's like mentally unstable for him to run away. David ends up running to a cave to try to get out of this situation. And it's when he was in silence. We talked about him today in the, in the sermon. When he was by himself, he then came to his senses. What am I doing? What am I doing? Unfortunately, the damage was done. The damage was done. During the conversation David had with the priest, Ahimelech, to try to get some, to try, to try to help him out, there was a man overhearing the entire conversation. And that man who heard the entire conversation occur ended up reporting back to King Saul what's going on. Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him. He also gave him provisions and the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Then the king sent for the priest Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, and all the men of his family, who were with the priests of Nob, and they all came to the king. Now the Ahimelech and then all the priests of Nob family came to report back to the king, because now they're in trouble. Saul said to him, why have you conspired against me, you and that son of Jesse kid, giving him bread and a sword and inquiring of God from me? Why are you giving him all that stuff so that he has rebelled against me and lies in wait for me? as he does today. Ahimelech answered the king, Who of all your servants is as loyal as David, the king's son-in-law, captain of your bodyguard and highly respected in your house? The, the priest is saying, like, this is David you're talking about. Like, he loves you to death. Like, he's your top guy. Was that day the first time I inquired of God for him? Of course not. Let not the king accuse your servant of any of his father's family, for your servant knows nothing at all about this whole affair. But the king said, Priest, Ahimelech, you will surely die, you and your whole family. Because of David's mistake, because of David's mistake, of trying to cover up his mistakes, he ended up putting Ahimelech and his entire family in threat, and they ended up dying because David was trying to cover up his mistakes. Then the king ordered the guards at his side, turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because they too have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing, yet they did not tell me. But the king's officials were unwilling to raise a hand to strike the priests of the Lord. Like, they, they, like killing a priest, they could not do it. But they, they ended up dying. Let's pause the story, this high drama complex story of what's happening with David. Let me ask you a question. What is your loneliness, your anger, 
or fear causing you to consider that you've never considered before? When we're in situations of, of being lonely, of being angry, or in fear, what have you started to consider that maybe you've never considered before? What habits? What's your go-to outlet? Maybe you've never considered before. Maybe years ago you said, I would never do that. But now when you're in that situation, maybe all of a sudden it becomes like a legitimate option. Dave, if, you, if, you, if you told David when he was beating Goliath, when he was killing him, that you would end up putting the priest's life in, in threat, and you would end up lying and, 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 and completely losing it because you found yourself in a tough situation, because you were angry, because you were lonely, because you were afraid. Would you imagine? No, 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 I would never do that. I'm David. I, my heart, I, I live for God. This is a man that lived for God and had an intimate relationship with him. But because he was so emotionally driven, he ended up doing things that he never realized he would. What about us? What is your loneliness, your anger, or fear causing you to consider that you've never considered before? Better question. Who is your loneliness, anger, or fear causing you to consider that you've never considered before? Maybe you told yourself you would never call that person ever again, but you decided to text them. Maybe you decided to reach out to that person that you told yourself that this is an unhealthy relationship. I can't be friends with this person. I can't date this person anymore. But maybe you find yourself in an emotionally driven situation, and you find yourself in a low. And maybe all of a sudden it seems like a legitimate option. Another question. Who besides you do your considerations put at risk? Who besides you? Do you start thinking, I'm going I'm to do this, I'm going to do that? Who else are you putting at risk? The answer is your, your family, your friends, the people around you. Because you think, I got this. I know what I'm doing. I'm going to take care of this myself. I know what I'm doing. I'm going to do me. I got this. Uh, other people, I, they need to do this. I can see other people. But my, my situation is unique. I know what I'm doing. But us thinking, I got this and I can do it myself, we have no idea how we're damaging and threatening other people's lives and pulling them down as we're trying to, 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 to solve our own problem. David ends up bringing down the priest, Ahimelech, because he thought, I got this. I know what I'm doing. The best part, the best part of David, the best part of why we honor him today, why we venerate him, why we cherish him, why do we keep his manuscripts and his record of his story centuries ago from the 11th century, why do we keep it today and why are we still talking about it thousands of years later? Because through his downsides and through his falls, he always came to turning around back to the one who can restore him. He ended up always coming back to his healer, to his physician. And through that, he ended up journaling his entire process. He ended up journaling every emotion that came to him. And through all this, David said, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed. The Lord is a refuge for me, a stronghold in times of trouble. Stronghold is like when you're in battle, a stronghold is where you find comfort, is where you find protection. But through my mistakes, the Lord is still my refuge. And he's still my stronghold, even when times are tough and even when I am in trouble. Even through a high drama event and story and situation David was in, that he still was able to turn back around to God and lean on him and vent out his emotion to lean on him and to put down in prayer, Lord, Lord, you are my refuge. You're not just some distant person that I just come and talk to every now and then. You actually are my healer. You are there for the oppressed. And centuries later, 
the ancient faith, this pre-denominational church that we live in, that we are, are part of, uses his words for us to pray. Because usually when we come and talk to God ourselves, we sometimes are, we don't know what to say. We just say, Lord, bless me, or help me with this. And we kind of just shoot up prayers to God, help me with this, help me with that. But if we can rely on the prayers of a flawed man, someone we can relate to, in our troubles, what's better? What's better? The church and its wisdom and her wisdom gave us a prayer book that many of us know called the Agbeah. And many of us are like, ugh, Agbeah is boring, it's long, it's bleh. But if we're able to look at it with fresh lens and say, you know what? I can kind of relate to this guy. I can relate to him. And I can use his journal to help me in prayer, to get me focused, I'm down. Let me take it. This is why the church has given this, to guide us, to kind of hold our hand, to help us in prayer. And if we look at it through that lens, and I'm just like, oh, like, yeah. If we look at it through that lens, this is where we can find healing. This is where we can find victory. This is where we can find hope, just as David found hope. Like, this guy made serious mistakes. He's a murderer. He's an adulterer. He, I mean, this guy made mistakes, but now we honor him because of his high turnaround of always running back to God. And we're not any different. We're not any different. We're not any different. If this series, if God sparks something in you, you know what, maybe I should use some of David's words when I come and talk to God. We have in the back, we have Igbeas in the connection table. You can take one. You can do a $5 suggested donation just to, just to pick up one. But if you don't got the money, no big deal. Just take one. But for us to, to lean on him and his words and his story that, can relate, that we can relate to, to get us through our hardship, there's nothing better. A thousand years later, a thousand years later, a descendant of David, a descendant of David, someone that came from David's offspring, gazed into the eyes of lonely people, of afraid people, of angry people. This descendant, this offspring who came from, from, from David's lineage, you might have heard of him. His name is Jesus. And he said this. Come to me. Now Jesus, taking, being in, in the place of God, now he's God with skin on him. Now he's saying, come to me. All you who labor, all you who are heavy laden, all you with your burdens, with your weight, with your issues, come to me. I will give you rest. Is there anything sweeter? There's no sweeter word than rest. For us to come to him and to find rest. This is why David is an amazing character. A Jewish man, flawed man, but always had a high turnaround back to God through his mistakes. And through his lineage, we found the one who brought the fullness of life back to us. Jesus, the Son of God stand up for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, when we are emotionally driven, when, when we find ourselves angry, or lonely, or afraid, our natural reflex is to just, to, to, to isolate ourselves more to even be more scared and we make decisions that even putting ourselves that put ourselves more into a hole 
and help us to realize from, from, from David's story, from his mistake, before I, I just jump to reacting, before I jump to just panicking, if I pause and realize there is one that I can lean on, there is one I can, that I can put my weight on, there is one who is my refuge, there is one who is the physician of my soul, body, and spirit, who desires an intimate relationship with me. Lord, give us that clarity for us to make those decisions so that when we're in these high-strung situations in life, help us to keep our eyes locked on you before we hurt those around us and ultimately ourselves. Through the prayer of David, the prophet and king, and all your saints, here's as we all pray together saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. All right, thank you guys. We'll do part three of this series uh, next Sunday.